Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I have a lovely lady sitting with me named Varina Olivari, who really got me interested in her story the other day when we were at her salsa class. And I'm sitting here watching this young lady dance, and she's very elegant in her moves, and she's looking professional as she dances. And I'm like, why is she here <laughs> teaching salsa lessons in Nicaragua? And that led to her coming on the show and, and telling us a little bit about her story. So welcome to the show, Verena. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's exciting because I really don't know much about you. So to have you on and learn more and, and why you came to Nicaragua, Higante to be specific, is something that intrigues me. And I always like to try to bring the, you know, the feminine side of things to my podcast where we get to hear a female's perspective on living abroad as an expatriate in a, in a country that's not always comfortable. You know, especially I think for females, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Are you pretty comfortable here? Do you find life in Gigante in Nicaragua as, as comfortable? There's definitely waves of comfort. Um, but even, you know, throughout my past, I always thought comfort, there's no such thing about it. Like you'll never be comfortable. So it's definitely been an adventure. There's been times that I've, you know, broken down a bit, but yeah. Can you tell us maybe the reasons for breaking down? Like what, what were, <laughs> what were some things that you found to be, so uncomfortable you, you were upset by it or cried, made it made you cry. <laughs> well, there was something very recent actually yesterday. I was uh, washing my hands and then I went to go dry them in a towel and I got stung by a scorpion. And I've been stung before. It was my first actual night here that I spent um, two years ago, almost two years ago. And it wasn't as bad as this time that was happening yesterday. And just going back home after a long day and like feeling the numbness in my lips and the numbness in my tongue and just that surreal fact of like, I got stung by a scorpion. I was kind of scared to go to bed. I was a little, I'm tiptoeing around my own house, you know? Do you dislike bugs in general or? When I first came here, it took me a minute. I would scream like a little girl. And mm -hmm. then after a while, I'm like, oh, look at this. And now I have them in my hands. Or if they fly on me, I'm like, hey, buddy, what's going on? So you've adapted. I've adapted. That's I've cool. I mean, one how many times you've been stung by a scorpion? This is my second time. Second time. And so the experience, as you just described, it's tingly lips, numb tongue. Did your appendages kind of go numb as well? Or was it hard to walk at any point during the uh, I day? Felt, I definitely felt high. Yeah. Like, I called a friend of mine when it happened because Derek was not in the house and I was like, I don't know what to do. And she was saying like, you sound high. I'm like, I have to go to work like in an hour. I don't know what's like, she's like, you got to write it out. You got to write it out. It was in between my pinky finger. So it, I could feel the venom, like just going up my arm. It was so weird, but it was cool. So I started writing down what I was feeling because I wanted to remember how that was. So I have a little journal entry about that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. I've, I've been stung as well and found it to be more or less the same experience that you just described. Cool. One little, little factoid about local, uh, what do you call them? Tinctures. 
is they'll collect the venom sacs from scorpions and put them in guadon, the local moonshine, and let it ferment in there and absorb. And when you drink it, you become hallucinogenic and super high. So it's something that I learned early on. I have never done it, but anybody out there who wants to uh, try it, let me know how it works. That's hilarious. I was just thinking about that this morning. I'm like, I should probably collect some scorpions and ask people if they want to sting to get high because yeah. it was a rush. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Going back, you were saying that you kind of grew up with the idea that there's no such thing as comfort, which was intriguing when you said that because I do know a little bit about your past and I knew you grew up in a more affluent family from Peru. You're Peruvian by birth, by blood. And you had maids and housekeepers. And at one point you said that, you know, someone would come into your room in the morning and ask you what type of juice you wanted and then go make it for you and then come back and wake you up. And that's really interesting. After the story you just told of being <laughs> stung by scorpions, you living in the jungle, like in a jungle house, like it's way different in contrast to that story. So can we talk a little bit about your upbringing and, and how you grew up? Sure. Um, well, I, I was born in Peru, but 11 months afterwards, after I was born, uh, we moved to Puerto Rico, which was kind of similar to here, a very uh, jungle home in front of the ocean. So we definitely were in the elements as I was growing up. I, there was stray cats everywhere, um, you know, rocky areas. I remember I would always get cuts in my foot. Uh, so I grew up, you know, in a barefoot lifestyle by the beach, similar to what I, I'm living now in Nicaragua. Uh, but it wasn't until I moved back to Peru when I was 12 and I was introduced to this lifestyle that my mother was raised on, which was the princess lifestyle. I, I did have, you know, a, a maid who is now like a, a sister to me. I mean, I, I, there was a point in time that I was sharing a room with her because we, you know, we were renting the house downstairs and well, yeah. And, um, at age of six, we moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and that's where I learned how to do chores and, you know, keep my bedroom clean. And then when we moved to Peru, I didn't have to do that anymore. So, but I still had that consciousness of, okay, I have to do my chores, but they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't never make, let me make my bed. They wouldn't let me do my laundry. Um, you don't even put gas in your car there. So wild. And that's yeah. really interesting that you came from not that life. You know, you grew up and you had been normalized into having responsibilities and, and doing things that needed to be done around the house for yourself. And then at 12, which is, I think, a very pivotal point in all of our developments, you know, and now you get treated like a princess. Like, did that have any effect on you psychologically? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, in yeah. what way? By 18, I was a princess. Really? I was so snobby and stuck up. <laughs> I thought everything was supposed to be handed to me the way it was when I was growing up in Peru. You know, it, it really took a hold of me. Huh. And then, so at what point did you realize that you had become that person that maybe you weren't super proud of and you wanted to change? The drastic change was definitely at 25, but even throughout college, like I felt like I needed to seek something out there. I needed to find God again and kind of uh, stop being influenced by outside um, people, such as my parents that were so close to me or people that I went to college with. Like I was constantly influenced by their behavior. And most of the people that I hung out with had lived that lifestyle that I lived in Peru. Until I took myself out of that bubble, I realized 
what I had become and I don't deserve more than any other person next to me, you know? Hmm. So was, how'd you take yourself out of the bubble? What'd you do? Well, it was a slow process. Um, I realized the relationship that I was in back then and how I was acting. So for one, I had to stop drinking to kind of be conscious about it. <laughs> College party animal loved to be the center of attention. And then what, when I did that, I, I, I realized like I kind of had like a moment that I didn't know who I was because that was all these other people. I was always trying to make everyone happy hmm. by manipulating who I was instead of just being who I am now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's super cool. Let's talk more about that because oh God. <laughs> I think we've touched upon a vein that I think a lot of people can relate to where they do maybe come to that point and maybe they don't. I think you were lucky enough to find it out. You said around 25 or maybe a little earlier yeah. where you made the conscious effort to say like, I'm done with this. I'd like to shift into more of, I don't know, more of yourself. Like what was that like? And you know, where, where you found yourself not really knowing who you were, it sounds like. And you started to what? I mean, what kind of thing? Did you just like quit your friends and quit everything and go to church every day? No, but I uh, definitely, I took myself off of Facebook. I changed my phone number. Um, I changed where I live and I didn't tell anybody. Kind of forcedly became isolated. I isolated myself from everybody. There was a point in time that I didn't talk to my parents for like two years and they didn't understand why, but I trying to explain it to them was so difficult. This is when I was living in Los Angeles, of course. I was pursuing to be an actress. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so all the characters that you had been for your friends and maybe even for your family at, at a younger age, you now were taking them and, and one, you were separating yourself from that, but at the same time still feeding it by moving to LA and pursuing the acting career. Does that sound accurate or? Uh, I think, no, well, I, when I was 25, I was already living in L.A. Oh, okay. I apologize. I thought you were still in, like, the college fort long Oh, no. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. okay. This was... Yeah, I had just moved to Los Angeles at the age of 24. I was going into my 25th birthday, and then that's when it kind of... Oh, like, I see. Okay. me. So you, like, you left your apartment in L.A., moved to another apartment, didn't tell anybody, stopped talking to your parents... Changed my phone Changed your phone numbers, got off Facebook, quit all your friends, and you went, what, whole hog, full force in the acting thing to become an actress and make it? Well, by dismissing all that and releasing all those influences that always would tell me, like, oh, you'd be such a great actress, you'd be this, I realized I never really wanted to be in that industry because I never, I mean, I, I studied it in college, but I was never serious about it. I never looked up, like, had a favorite director or had a favorite type of genre for a movie. Like I never really, really indulged in the industry as thought as I thought I was. I think back then I really just wanted like the fame and that, that, that light, but mm -hmm. I never knew what, how hard it was to be there. And then during that time I got introduced to production assistant jobs. So it was more like the back, uh, backstage behind the scenes kind of work. And I fell in love with that. I fell in love with that. And I realized how much work and I gained so much more respect for people on camera because your life is not private and working backstage I realized how much I hold sacred my private life that's interesting can I ask when you did kind of inject yourself back into your family's lives and, and started coming back out into the world what was that like and when did that happen and did you stay in LA and continue to work as a production assistant or how long did you last in LA 
I lasted, it was three years, and then I completely ran through my savings just trying to survive in that industry. Um, so I, I had to move back home. To Peru? My parents were living in Arizona at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. Why did your parents move so much? Uh, my father's job. Okay. Yeah. What does he do? He's a fire engineer, fire protector engineer. Okay. And he gets <laughs> hired by big corp companies to go and consult and do that sort of thing around the, sounds like all around the Americas. Yes. Well, right now he's more of a consultant. Um, but back then he was just going from company to company that were offering him a higher position in the company, also a higher pay. So he was basically following that and growing mm -hmm. as a engineer. Hmm. So when you moved back to then Arizona, you know, you what was went and got a job and started scraping your way back up to get yourself where I got four jobs. I yeah. got four jobs. I was half the time I was taking the bus to go to work. Uh, I would always bring extra clothes with me because I had to go run off to the other job. But it was amazing. In four months, I saved enough money to go to my next step. And I, I, a dear friend of mine who's a really close friend from Phoenix offered her apartment in Philadelphia out of all places. And I only lasted there two weeks. <laughs> it was so cold. So you say for four months to move to Philadelphia, which you didn't even know you wanted to do. You no. You just did it on a lark. Lasted two weeks. And then what? Uh, and then I, uh, I called a, a cousin of mine who I'm really, well, my cousins are like my sisters. I don't have any, um, sisters. And, uh, you know, I told her my situation and she was like, Hey, come down to Florida, live with me. I can get you a job bartending, which I never had done before and, um, save your money and then go see what you want to do. Go see what you want to do afterwards. And it was a complete blessing. I packed a carry on bag, booked a one way flight to Fort Lauderdale and I moved so quickly that I was so proud of myself. Like in four months of being there, I had a car. I had transitioned from a bartending into an office job in interior design. I was paying two months of rent in advance because I was able to. Like I, I really found how I could, you know, finance myself. Mm -hmm. It was, it was really beautiful. <laughs> And the whole time still like striving for something. I mean, cause I, I started with the interest of you being a dancer, like a salsa dancer and quite good at it. And like, I know you're amateur, you've competed. Would you ever compete professionally or did you ever? I mean, well, that actually takes us back to Arizona. I went to Arizona state for two years. Uh -huh. Um, and immediately I knew I was going to be miserable. I was like, I'm in the desert. I need the ocean. So I started going into looking for like an artistic outlet. And I got into a salsa class. Mm -hmm. um, it was a salsa 101. And I found it way too easy. I'm like, ah, I got this. Like, And this is right after I moved to Peru. So the princess syndrome kicked in. Mm -hmm. And um, our homework was to go to a bar and dance for an hour. And we would get stamped by the teacher. So that night, I went to go do my homework. And I spoke to the teacher. And I said, look, I don't feel like 101 is challenging. Like, do you mind if I go to 102. And she said, let me see you dance and we'll talk that night. And I was like, okay. So later that night she comes up to me and she goes, come to the 102 class, drop out of the 101. Let's see how you do in 102. Perfect. 
went to the 102 class and I remember meeting one of her assistants who was in the actual Arizona State dance team. And I went up to her and I go, wow, like I want to be on the team. And she looked at me and she's like, no freshman has ever been on the team. And I'm like, oh, and, you know, my Scorpio came out. I was very competitive. So I'm like, okay, we'll see about that. And then the next semester I got onto the team representing Arizona State in competitions like Las Vegas and in Ohio and with uh, your partner and then also in group dances. Cool. So I got really into it. Did you get a scholarship? No, no, I didn't offer scholarship. No? No. And then was there aspirations to continue on after school with it and maybe take it to the professional level? There was. Um, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I was lucky enough to find a really good partner that was as dedicated as I was. Um, but at that time, I was looking to transfer over to California schools, um, and I got accepted to the University of San Diego. And it was either stay in Arizona or transfer to a place that I would feel more of that love in an environment. I was kind of, you know, I didn't really like living in Tempe. Uh, so I transferred. And um, when I saw the salsa team there, it was like starting all over again. Uh, it was very small. It's a small school. And uh, there was mostly all beginners. So um, I that's when I just threw the towel and I said, okay, I quit. I oh, guess, really? Yeah, this wasn't meant to be. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, throughout the whole conversation thus far, it's just like Verena's always searching. She's looking. She's, she <laughs> wants to, like, find something. You know, have you ever thought, like, what are you looking for? You know, do you have uh, – you're 29 now, I believe. You know, you find yourself in a small village in the southern part of Nicaragua. And, you know, what's, what's driving you at this point? Wow. Um, well, this place has definitely opened the door of learning to be an entrepreneur. So I'm learning that here. And I'm seeking that. I want to find, I don't know, um, I don't know. <laughs> but with the entrepreneurial spirit that you kind of see here and the people that are creating various businesses for themselves... And you as well, having your own little like salsa instruction business, salsa classes, you know, where do you see that going? And would you want to make that kind of a lifestyle here? Like, would you want to turn this into like salsa classes by Verena, <laughs> you know, like, and make it a brand? Definitely. Why not? Yeah. I actually, let's go back to LA. I was working at a gym and I wanted to be one of their salsa instructors because they didn't offer it. But I was just so chickened out. I was too intimidated. Like, there was some great teachers there that in the day of the interview, I was like, I, I, I'm not ready. I can't do it. And okay. I backed out. So now that this door was opened here, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. I'm like, it's actually happening. And people are actually wanting me to teach them something that I was so passionate about. And that door has opened again and it's re re resurfaced. You yeah. Know? So it's exciting and it's so, Cool. Like just seeing people light up when you're teaching them a couple dance moves, you know? And did you come thinking that might be an avenue that you could explore? No way. No. No way. I did not expect anything from here. I didn't know what to expect. So it, and, it just kind of happened. And for all the listeners, Verena is the girlfriend of Derek from episode 31. <laughs> and why don't you talk about meeting Derek? And he talks about you in the episode and... And talks about, you know, your 
being friends and maybe a fling at one point that was in Peru together and then rekindling that and maybe talk about meeting, rekindling that relationship and why you came here with him. Oh, it's funny. Um, yeah, well, I was working in an interior design company back then. That's when I was in Florida. And, um, I remember he was in real estate and I had just finished working for the Florida Surf Film Festival and I was really inspired by the directors and producers to try and film a documentary for surfing in Peru. And I needed an actor. Well, I didn't know that back then. I was trying to contact some girlfriends in Peru to go on this venture with me. And I was also looking for a bridge back to California. So I contacted him and I said, hey, like long time no talk. How are you? You know, I haven't spoken to you in years, but I'm an interior designer right now. And I know you're in real estate. So I was wondering if you ever have projects that you need certain details for a house or staging. Let me know and I'll see what I can do. He thought it was a great idea, but he had just quit his job because he wanted to travel the world. So I introduced him to my idea to Peru and we're like, all right, let's, let's meet in Peru. And three days later we booked a flight and I was like, whoa, what am I doing? I don't even know this guy. I haven't seen him in seven years. Like, so I called up a mutual friend. I'm like, is he all like good in the head? Like, you know, how, how's he doing? And he was like, I'm going to Peru with this guy. And our, my buddy of mine, our mutual friend of ours, he was like, well, he might try to hate on you, but if you say no, he's cool. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, what, blossomed into something from that trip or that came later? Because uh, that was years ago at this point. This was about two years ago only. Three years oh, ago. Yeah, okay. this happened February. Okay. Um, It all happened very fast. <laughs> yeah, it's February, it's February of 2015. We decided to go to Peru. And at that point in my life, I was so concentrated on pushing myself to be an entrepreneur, pushing myself to see where I can go by myself. So I wasn't really looking for a relationship. I wasn't really looking for a spark with anybody. I took it on as like a business project and he was so epic to travel with. Like it was a blessing. It was so cool, really mellow. We did Cusco and Machu Picchu and Trujillo and Manquara and just did all up at the coastline and um, got a lot of footage. And uh, he told me, he, I want to move to Nicaragua. And I was so for it just to see this guy light up. I was like, do it. Like, what do you have to lose? You have nothing hanging on to you. You don't have kids. You don't have a dog. Like, there's nothing that is holding you back. Just do it. And a couple months later, he comes to visit me in Miami. He's like, yeah, I, I'm I'm moving to Nicaragua. I'm like, epic. Like, I'll go visit you for your birthday. It's going to be great. Like, cool. You're awesome. Like, total bud. He met my whole family, too, by the way, which was really cool. Everyone was like, oh, is he your boyfriend? I'm like, nah. Like, no way. He's, he's too, you know, surfer. He's like, too, uh, I don't know about this guy. And then uh, come September... For his birthday, I came down and we crashed a wedding. And that's when the love. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just stayed? You just said, I'm staying? Well, he was telling me before I came my first time, you know, like, come run the cyber cafe with me. And at that point, I was working in an office with no windows. So it was really tempting. And when that love happened, that opportunity was still there. He still wanted me to come down here. So I 
waited out and I said, when am I ever going to get this opportunity again? What do I have to lose? I love it. Yeah. Swing the bat, go for it. So how's it been? I mean, I know this place is trying and you spend probably more time with your significant other in this type of environment than you would say as normal relationships back in the States go. Cause everyone goes to work in the morning, comes back, they have dinner, a glass of wine, they talk about their day, they go to bed or do whatever. <laughs> Where here it's like, we live on top of each other together, 24 seven friends, lovers, boyfriends, girlfriends, like that's just how it works. So how's it going? You know, in the sense of like, <laughs> How have you guys adjusted? Is it cool? Has it been hard? I mean, just with all the variables that are involved in this environment, you know, I think for the audience who's listening, you know, like give us some insight into starting a relationship in Nicaragua. Oh man. Um, it's been surprisingly easy. Really? That's oh, cool. Yeah. And we're in tight quarters, so we really make it work. Like I needed shelves. He built me shelves. I was like, you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> It's, and he's a prankster, so we're, it's never a dull moment with him. I really enjoy spending my time with him and having him witness my life, too. That's so cool. And do you see yourself maintain this type of lifestyle here for quite some more time? Or um, do you have you set new goals for yourselves and that are going to take you away from Nicaragua? Oh, constantly. I'm constantly searching for what I can learn next. Um classes in Europe or, you know, there's a whole world out there and he's willing to see it with me too. So it's, I mean, we love it here and we definitely want this place to be our home base just cause it's such a special place in our hearts. And, uh, but there's a whole world out there too. No, it's great to hear. <laughs> um, you were speaking the exact same way he was in the last episode, which was talking about, yeah, maybe not here. It'll always be home base, but Peru, you know, let's go to Peru and start something new. And, you know, and it sounds like that's a viable option for you both with the skill set that you have now of running a cyber cafe. <laughs> In can, the middle of nowhere. You re recreate that life anywhere. Um, and is Peru on your radar? Would you want to go to Peru and, and do the Peru thing? Or is that you've done Peru because you, you lived it? Well, I've, I've lived it but as an adolescent, you mm -hmm. know, growing, going in there as an adult would be definitely different. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would want to go back and try something there and, and see what's going on. You know? Yeah. And Europe, you said maybe also go try something in Europe. Do you have a European passport? I don't. I was supposed to be an Italian passport, but I had to give up one of my citizenships. So oh, I didn't do it. too bad. Yeah. Bummer. So I like this a lot because you're at this, like not crossroads, but you're at a very early stage in this sort of like lifestyle, right? Where it's like you bounced around a lot. I mean, you've had the cultural experience from Peru. You're in Puerto Rico, I believe you said. Mm -hmm. um, you've done the States. You speak perfect English. Like you have a very vast amount of experience, but yet you're still excited about continuing on and moving forward and like trying to make new things happen in various other places. Like it doesn't sound like going back to the States is is something that you need to do anytime soon to like start the nine to five and, and make a family and get the white picket fence and have Derek come home from work <laughs> in the Mercedes. Does that sound right? Oh man, that sounds about right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really in a rush. And... Is that something that you'd want in the future is, I mean, are, are you seeing yourself like living this type of lifestyle? I see myself living this type of lifestyle. Yeah. 
And so that brings me to my, another question. Sorry, did you want to elaborate on that? No, no. Okay, no. which is like, why? I mean, what is it about this lifestyle that you find invigorating, motivating, inspirational that you could articulate? Well, I've, I've done the nine to five and it's, it made me de- not depressed that it was really sad just having that routine. I didn't like anything about it. I don't want to be chained down. So this lifestyle makes me feel so much more creative, constant creativity. I'm always looking for what I can do with this or take that and be inspired by the artisans in this place. Uh, so since I have that nine to five experience to go off on, I know that my soul feels happier and fulfilled in a lifestyle like this one. Mm-hmm. It's a struggle, but it's so magical and you learn so much about yourself and what your limits are mm-hmm. and how you can keep pushing them or go over the boundaries and mm-hmm. evolve. It, mm-hmm. This place has evolved me. Mm-hmm. Just because the the, cha- the environmental challenges, if you will, meaning like sometimes you don't have water or electricity. <laughs> um, what other kind of challenges has this place offered that has really pushed you deeper into yourself introspectively to understand like, oh, wow, I didn't know I could do that. Or I didn't know I was good at that. Or I'm great at that and never knew that. Well, to God, well, the top things in my head, I learned how to ride a motorcycle here. I never thought I was going to own a motorcycle and learn how to drive it and be comfortable driving it or stick shifts. I never knew how to drive stick shift and I had to forcefully do it because we ran out of water in our cafe and Derek was out of town. I'm like, oh man, I got to like do this. Just think about it like a motorcycle. Just keep going. And um, yeah, just stuff like that. I never knew I would be able to do that or even be a boss. I never thought I could manage people in a way. And I'm learning so much about that too. I mean, I, I take from my past experiences of how I didn't want to be treated and doing that with my employees. Um, yeah. No, that's great. I think that's really insightful and I can relate in a lot of ways. I had the same sorts of feelings and epiphanies about myself when I first arrived, having to go get water in a, and drive a trailer and back up a trailer and just like horrified. Like I actually remember, I haven't thought about this in a long time, just like being so insecure about my ability to do anything, like not having grown up in an environment where I had to like use a drill or a handsaw. Like I didn't have that type of family. And then, so coming here where I, I had to pick up a drill and I had to use a saw and like do all the manly things that I was supposed to know how to do and didn't feel comfortable with it at all and super insecure about that fact. And I think everyone saw it too. And and they're really nurturing like my partners and they like encouraged me to like, you can do this dude, like build that. Just, you can do it. You know, use a saw in that way or fix the water tower. And like, man, it was hard. It took a long time, but you do it enough over and over because you have to, you have to be a participant in your own survival here. Not that we're going to die and starve, but it's like (laughs) when you don't have water in your tank, like you have to remedy that because you own a cafe and like you have to flush toilets and you have to clean dishes and like it has to get done. Like, and if Derek, your boyfriend's not here, you have to do it. All the responsibility falls on your shoulders. Yeah. And I, I, I've lived by myself for years and become very independent. I do everything by myself. I've packed my car full of my stuff by myself, moved by myself. I can handle it. 
And here has really shown me, especially with a partner, there's times that I break down like, oh my gosh, I rely on you so much. Like, I don't like this. Like, where's my independency? But I realize like, I just need to learn what he knows already that I can't do. Mm-hmm. So this place really strips you of that and teaches you like, okay, mm-hmm. like let's push what you can't do. Mm-hmm. Any yeah, absolutely. Sense. It's, it's always going to expose those weaknesses to the fullest. Completely. And then you get to either strengthen those weaknesses or yeah, crumble. You know, you do see a lot of people just being like, I can't handle it here. I'm going back to the States, you know, like for whatever reason, whatever was their tipping point, you know, for, for people listening who like salsa as well, who might be a yoga instructor, Pilates instructor, who have those skill sets that they might not realize they can come to an environment like this and thrive. Mm-hmm. You know, like what kind of money are you making? Are you actually making enough to fly yourself home? Well, not yet. No. <laughs> so if you had to get home right now, you'd have to like call up and borrow some money from the family. Oh no, I've, I've got some savings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, living off of the salsa classes for right now. No, not, not yet. Um, it really is. I just started doing this. I uh-huh. just taught my second class, um, which are opening other doors and opportunities. Uh, so we'll see where it takes. And then the cafe, I mean, is your life, are you losing money on a daily basis here or are you actually making ends meet and surviving? Oh man. Um, you know, lifestyle is so cheap here that with $20, we're so stoked. You know, mm-hmm. you can have a really good meal, have a couple beers, and mm-hmm. you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's keeping us above the water, mm-hmm. but it, I just find it so hard to save money here because of the constant, uh, you know, things are breaking down, or since we live so close to the ocean, things just rot very quickly. So it's it's... Working with the elements. Does that create any sort of anxiety for you? And not to be stereotypical, but I notice at like, you know, 29, 30, 31, you know, women are excited more about settling down, creating roots, like, um, having more, I guess, of a stable lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> Does that ever come into play? Or are you just like gung ho? Like, let's play this out as long as we can. And then when we're going to the next move, we're going to do the same thing. And that's good. Um, well, I, I feel like I, I am planting roots. Like this is all very new to me, sharing my life with somebody and being so open and honest from the get-go. Um, there is times that I feel anxiety, but it's mostly toward, it's actually always towards um, just myself as a person. Mm. Like, what am I giving back to this world? What am I doing to, you know, pursue what I really want to do in life? Um, like, what, what steps am I taking? So there, I do get anxiety about that. Just like, oh, not questioning, like, what am I doing here? Like, what can I do more? I see. Um, and as far as, you know, like, settling down and, and, and putting roots. Like this is probably the first time that I feel that I'm actually doing that building a home with someone that I love so much and having a life with him and opening myself up to this. Uh, so I feel like I just started this root building and this settling down. Like you say, Mm -hmm. it's happening now. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) constantly being driven away for something else. Okay. So if you had to give anybody advice on coming to Nicaragua or, or taking that first step out of the comforts of 
America. Because you've had comforts in America, you've had comforts in Peru, in a, in a way that a lot of people have not had those types of experiences, you know? So what would you say to somebody if someone said, hey, I really want to make a change in my life and, and, and do what you're doing? How, how can I do it? Be prepared. In what Be way? Be prepared to challenge yourself mentally and physically. Stay healthy. Stay clean. Stay open to the signs here. There's so much opportunity because it's such a young town. Um, but you have to definitely be prepared for anything. Be prepared for the challenges and accept them as they come. Mm. Don't force it. I mean, that's for anything in life. Like, just don't force it. It's a typical cliche to say go with the flow, but mm. it really makes a lot of sense when you break it down and look with it. It does. You know, episode <laughs> after episode, I, I ask this question and, and it does come up and it, everyone always notes that it's cliche. But it's true when you do just let things unfold as they're going to, because here we have very little control. I mean, some people say you don't have control anywhere because life's going to do what it does. But mm -hmm. I'd say there's less control here than there is in the States in some ways, because things here don't function that way. No, it's, it functions complete opposite of how it yeah. should function. Yeah. I mean, the times that Derek and I are doing errands for the cafe we're like well this doesn't make any sense this is completely backwards and it's most of the time 20 times a day that we're saying this but mm -hmm. you know if you go prepared with that mentality you won't feel that stress you won't feel that anxiety especially if you come from a place that is so fast or everything is done like this i like the states um everything is at your feet when you surrender to that and know that it's not going to be that way. It's actually pretty amusing. It's, it's comical. It, you can really write a funny series about how things are run here and putting it like in a, an American setting. People would not understand. It's so baffling, but it's fun. It's, it's like a little game. It's like Mario Kart. <laughs> it's very wise. That's very wise words. And I think to end on that note is, is a beautiful note to end on because yeah. Just let it flow because it's going to do what it does. It's going to do what it does. Do you what it does. Ride your little cart through the rest. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank I you appreciate so much for your having time. me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out spread your wings and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one but when in fact it, it's the perfect one for you and I'll see you next time